Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another weeknight, another evening, uh, reflecting into the richness of our faith. It is Friday, so we are breaking open uh, the readings for the Mass uh, this first Sunday in Lent, where we have the opportunity to talk about uh, our Lord's temptation in the wilderness. Now, this will take us into the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. So with, uh, without further ado, we're going to jump right into this because there is uh, some rich, rich subject matter. And again, if you have any questions for me, please do email me at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com uh, with any of your, uh, just not questions, but comments, observations, uh, feedback, whatever you have for me, please don't hesitate to email me. Again, I'm flying solo today, so it is Friday. Um, and so with that, yeah, go ahead and break out your Bibles. Uh, Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11, and this is the gospel for the first Sunday in Lent. Uh, and again, so we're, we're gospel-oriented, and of course, we're going to be bringing in the Old Testament uh, as it is needed to best understand the narratives that we read, and of course today from the Gospel of Matthew and the temptation narrative. So, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterward he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge of you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, It is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and in him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Amen. So, as you listen to that gospel, you all imagine the richness of so much there, and quite honestly, in in 26 minutes, we're only going to scratch the surface, and I can only encourage you to really get into your commentaries at home on this uh, on this scripture passage. But for starters, let us take up this first verse. Jesus was led up into the desert by the Spirit. What is the desert? Let us first think about the desert. 
You know, the desert is the place of utter poverty and therefore potentially of heroic trust in God. As one old rabbi once said, how easy it is for a poor man to trust in God. And what else is he to trust? And how difficult it is for a rich man to trust in God. All his possessions are crying out to him, trust in me. So once again, you have this uh, dichotomy, this contrast between one thing and another. This has been kind of the theme over the last few weeks. And if you've been paying close attention to the readings from the Mass, what you see is this emphasis on God alone, God first. Uh, the, The reading last week, you know, that the Greek for mammon is just not wealth, just not riches, but absolute trust in wealth, absolute trust in riches. So with that, Rabbi, what he's saying there, trust in me. Yeah, literally speaking, where we confide anything and everything that we are about to the God of mammon. This is the problem if we do this. I mean, if we're so busy moonlighting about all the things that money can buy, we will never allow God in. Okay, so this is really important for us during this Lenten season that we're not putting an overemphasis, of course, on um, the almighty dollar, <laughs> that almighty God is who we are giving our attention to. Now, with that, what does that mean? Well, when man experiences his own barrenness, when he is most in need, then, my dear friends, is the time of the decisive crises. Will he accept easy, immediate remedies and compromise his vocation as a child of God? Or will man wait in silence and privation, fasting from all the world has to offer for the perfect length of God's pleasure? We have this challenge before us. We heard it back on Wednesday. This call to fast, this call to have a deeper sense of interior discipline. And why? So that we might not be cling to things of this world. It's a great Lenten theme. All throughout these 40 days, you're going to be hearing about this need to have this interior discipline, this interior strength. Now, certainly these 40 days, as we talk about them, have us going back into the Old Testament. These 40 days and 40 nights uh, representing Israel's historical wandering in the desert. Huh? Here, the Lord Jesus continues his self-identification with the experience of the historic Israel. If you were to go back, think about this. Jesus spent his babyhood in Egypt, the beginning of his earthly uh, existence, symbolizing the birth of Israel as God's chosen people. He now undergoes in the desert the test of his faith in his father, and ultimately his entrance into Jerusalem for the final Passover of the cross, which of course signals for you and I, my friends, the opening of the true promised land. Who led the people in the Old Testament into the promised land? Joshua, Yeshua. Right, this is Jesus, Jesus the root, Yeshua. It's a new Joshua, Jesus, who leads us into the definitive promised land of life in God. So all of this is uniquely important. Why? Well, the first verse tells us why. He was led by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. I mean, how does Jesus 
fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Really? Seriously? Well, he's God. He can do whatever he wants to do, Joe, right? (laughs) But what's going on here? We have seen in our church history, men and women, saints, feast on our Lord for a very long time and feast on our Lord alone. How? Because in the Spirit, in the Spirit, the Father nourishes them. So for our Lord, during this long period of fasting, he had been nourished by dialogue and solitude with the Father, his Father. Only then was he hungry. Isn't it? If you were to go into verse 2, you see, having fasted, afterward, he was hungry. So the Spirit who had led him into this barren solitude is the proper name of nourishment. The breath of God, his direction, and his food. On it alone, he subsists. He is only hungry when he turns back to the world. And it is only at this moment of apparent weakness that the tempter approaches. But the devil, who knows so much, nevertheless has no wisdom, and therefore he cannot even begin to know that the power of God that strengthens Jesus and dwells within him corporally has the appearance of human weakness. This is very important to understand insofar as Jesus fasting, being nourished in this solitude with the Father, in dialogue with with the Father, and ultimately how this strengthens him. Now, the devil goes to tempt him afterwards, but he does not know because he has no wisdom. And I'm not talking about wisdom in the context of knowledge because that's not wisdom, right? Wisdom is access to the divine life. We can accumulate knowledge about a lot of things that help us to be a better people in, in our vocation and what we do. It allows us to engage with one another in our conversations. But the gift of wisdom, the spiritual gift of wisdom, it has the ability to anticipate. The Greek for wisdom, the wisdom that I'm talking about, literally means insight. Insight gained by a living relationship with God. So again, this is important in the context of this temptation narrative as it unfolds. So verse 3 Approaching the tempter said to him. Now, in regards to the language that we are seeing here in the names, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, (laughs) but if you were to carefully read verses 1 to 11, you see the devil, the tempter, and Satan. All different names, all different functions. And what it it reveals to us is the many functions of, of evil, but each having their own name, each having their own identity. We'll talk more about this towards the end. But in so far as we are concerned with the tempter, we already have the devil who's the accuser. The devil literally means the accuser. The tempter is one who tempts. Now, this is interesting because God has already been identified as one who possesses mercy, one who has mercy, embodies mercy. And now we have the one who tempts. And it's interesting if you're to go into Luke 1.28 and the angelic salutation to Mary in that uh, great greeting. Uh, the greeting itself is in the Greek, which is 
one who has been fully graced. You see, so God is one who possesses you know, absolute mercy. Mary is one who has been fully graced. And here you have the tempter, one who is tempting. And how does he tempt? Well, he wishes to place obstacles on one's path to God. And of course, this is what he's doing in the temptation narrative itself. The devil, the tempter, is the principle of contradiction, the principle of of negation. He wants to interrupt the flow of love from man to God, the response from man to God that we call obedience. He wants to get into the way. He wants to create noise, you see, because that adherence to God is what? Obedience. And always remember that the word obedience in Latin, obadiria, means to listen. If, if there's so much noise, are we going to be able to listen? No. So what Satan does is he creates more noise. What the tempter does, he creates more noise to drown out that voice of reason, to, to drown out that, that sense of being able to listen. And ultimately, he does so because he wants to interrupt the flow of love from man to God. And so this is what he's doing. He's putting obstacles. He's enticing. And this is what uh, really undergirds all of these temptations, these three principal temptations that he gives to our Lord here. Enticements. And if you look at these temptations, what you have here is a response, right? From the if you are the son of God to the, it is written. You know, our Lord is master teacher. And he reminds us of something here. We are given many challenges in our life. And when we are rooted in our sonship in Christ, when we are rooted as radically rooted as we are called to be, absolutely and utterly dependent upon the Father for all things, then we will, will be able to see through the challenge. And where do we go? Well, where does our Lord go? To Scripture. You know, we can study Scripture on many levels. But let me say this. If it is not taking root, then we're missing the boat. If it is staying on the surface, then we're truly not going to understand Scripture for what it is. You know, Pope Francis recently sent a challenge to all of the universities uh, in the West. He said, make sure your theology doesn't remain in the abstract. Make sure your theology doesn't, doesn't become some sort of science that has been removed totally entirely from what faith is all about. He essentially says to you and I, remember what theology is in of itself. Faith-seeking understanding. That our pursuit of better understanding our faith always starts with Scripture. And because it does, we must internalize it for what it is. You know, I hear people tell me, well, I'm not a PhD student in Scripture, Joe. I'm not this. I don't need to know this or that and so on and so forth about this verse and that verse. Well, let me say this. Well, let me quote St. Jerome first. Ignorance of scriptures is ignorance of Christ. And I would never say that 
every person is supposed to know the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek, and so on and so forth. But what God does call us all to is to study Scripture because the Word of, word of God is life-bearing. And when we internalize it, then we can respond to the challenge. And I believe this to be a very important point. This is why I pause for a few minutes on this. Because where does our Lord go? He goes to Scripture. When Satan challenges us, where do we need to go? To Scripture. The Scripture is not some corpus, right? It is something that is life-giving. So I think it's really important to take note of this truth. That, yeah, in doing so, put Scripture to memory. Spend time with Scripture. I mean, it will fulfill all your dreams. It's amazing the power that Scripture has. I mean, he, our Lord's a master teacher, so he just goes. I mean, he, he has the whole Testament memorized, right? So bang, bang, bang in his responses to Satan. There's something else in one of these temptations I want to I talk about. It's kind of fun. You know, the, the devil you know, takes him away into the holy city. So many of us today like to be swept away. The biblical theologian Mary Caucus you know, he says, it's, it's like we all are in pursuit of this magical flight through the air as in the Arabian Nights. You know, see what I can do, is what, was, uh, is what Satan says. My thought and my movement are like the winds. You are heavy, morose, and transigent, but I can transport you swiftly and smoothly in the twinkling of an eye and with a delightful breeze and blowing in your hair. <laughs> you see what he's doing? <laughs> How many of us feel heavy, morose, weighed down by the world? How many of us just want to be swept away? You know, today we live in a, in a paparazzi culture, and some of us starve for it, are hungry for it. And so what does the tempter do? He sees that he's hungry, you see. <laughs> he sees that he's hungry. And so he thinks he's going to fulfill this sense appetite of our Lord. But again, as I already noted, he doesn't realize he's fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he sure neck doesn't know what it means. And so he proposes this great, great temptation. Step out the door. Cameras will be shooting everywhere. Oh, and it will satisfy your every need. This is an addiction for many. I remember uh, an interview given by one of the Hollywood stars. Who was it? Oh, maybe Kevin Bacon was talking about this a long time ago. He talked about how this whole paparazzi culture became an addiction and how it just consumed him. All he could think about is what he would look like when all of the cameras were, were snapping, you see. So uh, Satan's doing something here. But again, our Lord, he knows. <laughs> he knows. Now, I want to make sure I, I speak to this last phrase here, away with you, Satan. Away with you, Satan. I already mentioned that he's, he's identified evil with very specific identities, the devil, the tempter. And here we have Satan. He's the adversary. But more specifically, the enemy. You see, he's, a, he's, 
He's one who puts obstacles. He's the accuser. And he's all these things. But this last name identifies so much more. The enemy. The complete and absolute opposition of truth. The enemy or Satan was the name consecrated by Jewish tradition um, to the dark forces that opposes itself to God's life-giving design for man's salvation. Okay. Satan possesses intelligence. It knows how to construct detailed plots to assail man. As the Lord suffers temptation after temptation, he peels away the layers of Satan's sly disguise and reveals evil for what it is. Jesus counters the specificity of evil with essentially absolute good so as to remove man from that region of uh, moral impotence, we can say, where he had been confined. This is what Christ is doing right now. Much of the victory lies in the ability to recognize, name, and thus exercise the forces that oppose our spiritual progress. This is why you see in, in exorcisms themselves, exorcists talk about this. When the exorcism itself is actually happening, they identify the name of the devil, the kind of devil, the devil of lies, the devil of sloth, okay, and all the capital sins that may have over, overrun the soul. So again, our Lord is showing us something. And this is a passage that uh, exorcists talk about, actually, um, as very important for them to understand, you know, and, and how to go about what they are, uh, need to do in their own uh, exorcisms. By the way, what does the word exorcism mean? You know, you've heard me in the past talk a lot about the importance of covenant. Well, how do you establish a covenant? Well, you swear an oath. Okay, you swear an oath. The word exorcism literally means to oath out. We enter into covenant relationship with God. We bind ourselves to God in the sacramental life. That oath swearing that we give to the church and baptism and, and, and all the sacraments, okay? Of course, marriage. Exorcism is when man has bound himself to Satan. And now Jesus must exercise him out, to oath out. It's all about relationships here. This is what's going on. In the end itself, this last verse, the accuser left him. Angels approached and began to serve him. The accuser left him. Now you, you read that last verse and you don't think much of it. Oh, he was defeated. You know, Satan turns his head and he, he leaves the stage with his tail between his legs and he's defeated and so on and so forth. Oh, my dear listeners, that could never be farther from the truth. The Greek is this, this rupture. <laughs> Satan has been defeated. Just, you know, just a few nights ago here in Chico, I mean, there was, there was a thunderstorm of thunderstorms. I mean, uh, it, it, my children, it sent my children <laughs> to my wife and they were scared. I mean, there was one you know, semi-light storm and then the thunder the second time around, but 10 minutes later. Oh man, I was here in the radio studio and the, 
my headphones popped. I mean, this was loud. I mean, it was a rupture. I don't care what you were doing in Chico a few nights ago. This thunderstorm got your attention. This is what's going on here. Satan just didn't exit the stage. No, this was a cosmic event. One where Satan leaves in this kind of ruptured way and one where the angels approach him and begin to serve him in a consolation. This is a great battle. I mean, these, these, these 40 days and what is on the other side of these 40 days, this was a great battle. And Matthew wants us to see this. And Satan offers up something else here in the end in how we win this battle. You know, he, the final piece of this temptation is about worship. It all comes to a, a rousing conclusion with Satan's demand that essentially our Lord worship him. So how do we overcome the enemy in this battle? Is to worship God alone. Satan was saying to Jesus, if you are the son of God, challenging his sonship. And of course, he ends with this demand of worship. We are called to reclaim our divine adoption by grace that has been given to us in our baptism. And understand, with the grace that we have received in baptism, we've been given the tools, the virtues, and the gifts necessary insofar as we nurture them in prayer to defeat the adversary, the enemy. Okay, so this is, again, part of some of the, the things that come out when you start to critically reflect on this gospel passage. Now, I intentionally didn't really get into any of the three temptations themselves. I will on another date. I just wouldn't have been able to do it right in 27 minutes. I wanted to gather in some of the salient principles that are underneath them so that we might better understand what's going on. And the, the end game here is that we are rooted in our sonship. We are rooted in our relationship with Christ, that we might be better disposed to respond to the challenge with an understanding that we have to recognize things for what they are, identify them for what they are, and call upon the Holy Spirit just as Christ did so that we might overcome the challenge and that we might be better for it. We are better than our worst. And when we cling to our relationship with God, God helps us see that. Amen. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at jholljmj at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours 
at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.